Today we're going to go back into our series from the book of Romans. And as you'll notice on the screen above me or behind me, we're looking at one verse from the book of Romans. In fact, we're going to look at just one phrase of one verse from the book of Romans. Because as I read this letter and we come to this portion of Scripture, I can't get past these first few words. And I think it is of utmost importance we stay right here today. It is very possible that many of you will hear the most important sermon you have ever heard, ever hear in your life. And it's not because of me giving a message, it's because of what these words mean and what they say to us. So God, through your Holy Spirit, I pray that as we look to your word today, help us to hear and to understand. Convict us of our sin and turn us to Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, please speak to our hearts today. Amen. Would you turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to read this one verse, but I also want to read another portion of Scripture called Nahum. The book of Nahum, which is in the Old Testament. If you have a real Bible with you, it might take you a, a while to find that. It's a small book. If you have a phone or an iPad, well, you're in luck because you can just type in the word Nahum, and it'll bring you right there. But if you could do that, if you find the place in Romans today, chapter 1, and then find that place in Nahum, in the Old Testament, among the minor prophets, the latter part of the Old Testament. And we're going to read some verses from chapter 1. Today we are discussing, considering the topic, the wrath of God. And I want to bring Nahum in together with us today. And I want to bring all kinds of scriptures in today. Because I want you to get a full scope of what God says about his wrath. So if you have those two places, can you stand together with me? We'll start with Romans chapter 1 and then go to Nahum chapter 1. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then Nahum chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an end utterly of its place, and darkness will pursue 
his enemies. Or in another translation, it says that God will pursue his enemies into darkness. Amen. You may be seated. The wrath of God. We've been talking a lot in the, in the last, well, actually in the, in the whole book of Romans so far, we've been talking a lot about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we discussed that the gospel simply means good news. And it is good news. And we've been discussing this, especially from verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And those two verses, as we said, are like Paul's theme for the entire letter to the Romans. As though he's saying, here is exactly what I want to talk about. The gospel, the power of God, salvation, righteousness, and faith. Here's what I'm going to talk about, and now let's begin. Paragraph one. Sentence number one. The wrath of God is revealed. You see, to understand the good news of Jesus and to fully appreciate it and to fully embrace the good news, we have to know what the bad news is. And this is Paul's design. This is how he presents the gospel. Before he speaks and expounds upon the good news of Christ, he wants you to know the bad news first. Why does he do that? Well, I know in my own personal life, I've had people come to me and they say, Heath, for you, I've got good news and bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? I don't know about you, but I always say, tell me the bad news first. Why? Because no matter how bad those, that news may be, I'm hoping, deep inside, I'm hoping that the good news that comes after will overshadow the bad news. I'm hoping that the good news will give me a sense of joy, even though the bad news. And so I ask for the bad news in that hope that the good news will be so much more wonderful when I hear it. Why does Paul do this? Because the realization of the bad news makes the good news so much sweeter, so much more wonderful. And I pray that today we will embrace fully what the good news is once we hear the bad news. The bad news is the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's response is judgment against sin. And in that judgment, in that response, it is described as the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? Well, in Psalm 78, verse 49, speaking of what God did to the Egyptians, it says he cast on them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. What is the wrath of God? We see here the fierceness of his anger, wrath, indignation, trouble. 
And this wrath of God is not an outburst. It's not a loss of control. It's not God throwing a tantrum. No, the wrath of God is the response to sin by a just and holy and righteous God. A God who's not only righteous and holy, but a God who is also patient. In the Bible, there are several times. The Bible gives us a picture of God's wrath. And the picture is like a cup. A cup that is being filled out and about to be poured out. You see, because there is a cup that holds God's wrath, and when people continue to live in sin and in rebellion and in their wickedness, it's as though they are filling up this cup higher and higher. And God is patient. God is waiting. But at some point, that cup is full, and God will pour out His wrath upon sin. It's like a cup. In the book of Revelation, this is exactly what John says. Speaking of those who are wicked, it says, they shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And then that one shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. God's wrath is His righteous indignation against sin. His righteous indignation against sin. What does that mean? Simply this. God is angry. God is angry, and rightfully so. God is angry, and rightfully so. He is angry against sin. And He is angry at the death and destruction that sin causes among all mankind. God is angry against sin. And this is not just a brief matter of consideration that Paul says. This is not the only place in the book of Romans. He doesn't just simply say this and then leave it alone. No. He keeps on pointing this out throughout the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and so on many times through the book of Romans. For example, in Romans chapter 2, look what he says. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, in other words, you are hardening your heart and you refuse to repent of your sin. Because of these things, you are treasuring up or gathering up or filling up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, all that is found in Christ. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there is indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. 
And Paul sums this all up by saying, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So here is our conclusion. God's wrath, His fierce anger. God's wrath is against sin. The whole world is guilty of sin. Therefore, the world, the whole world is under the wrath of God. So what do we do? What do we do now? Where can we go with this? In the light of all these things, I want us to consider two things today in regards to God's wrath. Number one, the remembrance of God's wrath. And number two, the refuge from God's wrath. Number one, the remembrance of God's wrath. Because I believe God wants us to remember how he has shown his wrath in the past. And he has. And I believe God is calling us to remember these things. Why? So that number one, we see that God's wrath is severe. And number two, so that we see that God's wrath is certain. The severity of his wrath and the certainty of his wrath. So in remembering the wrath of God, we consider first how God's wrath is severe. There was a time long, long ago when God judged the whole world and poured out his wrath. It was at a time when God said that my spirit will not strive with man forever. The spirit was striving with man, with man's heart, because man was at war with God. Man was rebellious. When God looked upon the earth, he saw nothing but wickedness. And every thought and intention of man's heart was to do evil. And so finally, the world was filled with violence. And so God spoke to Noah. And he told Noah to make an ark made out of gopher wood. And I don't know how long it took for Noah to do this. Probably about a hundred years. And for a hundred years, Noah is preparing an ark. In the meantime, the ark itself, and through the words of the preaching of Noah, the people were warned that judgment is coming. The wrath of God is coming. There is a flood to come. But for a hundred years, People ignored it. They didn't listen. They continued in their wickedness. Their cup was filling up. And then finally, the Bible says, God spoke to Noah and said, He said to Noah, come into the ark. Come now with your family into the ark. And when he did, God shut him into that ark. And then the fountains of the deep broke open below the earth. And God flooded and destroyed every living thing on the face of the earth. Noah and his family were saved in the ark. God judged the world. God has also shown that he has judged an entire nation and poured out his wrath on a nation. In the days of Egypt, Pharaoh, who kept Israelites there and punished them with slavery and even killing their children, 
Pharaoh was a proud man, and he thought that he was better than God. In fact, he said to Moses, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? And Pharaoh was warned over and over again about the wrath of God that was going to be poured out on Egypt. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. He refused to repent. He rebelled against God in his pride, and he thought that he was untouchable. And he thought his nation was untouchable. But according to God, there are cries coming out of the land. The people who were in slavery cried out to God. And he did so for many, many, many years. And God was patient. But this cup was filled up. So God poured out plagues upon Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And as they grew worse in their evil against God, God finally said, I will now destroy the firstborn of every home and of every animal. And he told the Israelites, you take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb. Take the blood and brush it over the doors of your homes and go inside your house for tonight the wrath of God is coming and every firstborn will die unless I see the blood of the lamb. And when that night came, all of Israel was saved by the blood of that lamb. But the Bible says there was a great cry coming out of Egypt because there wasn't a single home where someone did not die. God poured out his wrath on an entire nation. And again, God has also shown that he has judged a society. And he's poured his wrath on a society like Sodom and Gomorrah. These people, the Bible says that they were filled with pride. And in their pride, they rebelled against God. And then they got involved in sexual immorality and sexual abuse, which is what happens when people begin to deny God. One of the first things you will find in society is that sexual sin will run rampant. And it did in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it became so bad that we know that there was homosexuality among all the peoples of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was angry. Again, the Bible said that people were crying out against Sodom and Gomorrah. People were crying out for God to do something. But God was patient and he waited until the cup was full. And he was prepared to pour out that cup. And he did. Abraham's nephew Lot was there with his family. And the angels came to Lot. And they said the wrath of God is about to fall upon this city. And upon Sodom and Gomorrah. You must get out. Run. Escape. Where do we go? There was a neighboring city next to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they said run. Flee. Escape to that city. And there you will find refuge. And so Lot and his family ran. And they ran and they ran. And the moment they reached that city, the fire of heaven began to fall upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And even Abraham looked upon those cities and it looked like a smoking furnace because smoke was just continually rising from these cities. God's wrath is severe. It's not only severe, it is certain. God does not speak in vain. 
In all these cases, God pronounced his judgment. And whether they believed it or not, whether they liked it or not, whether they agreed with it or not, the day of wrath came. And we are to remember these judgments. For when God says he will judge, he means what he says. The wrath of God's judgment is certain. And so we are told, like in the book of Colossians, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. In other words, in your life, Christian, if you are committing sin, put these things away. And he goes on to say, like fornication, which is sexual sin, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You see that? The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is certain. God says he will pour out his wrath. It is coming. But what does our world say about this today? Look all around you. What does the world think about God's judgment and wrath? Peter, in the days of the early church, I believe Peter could see this already beginning to happen among people, and he prophesied that it will grow worse in the last days. Peter said something about these days about how people will feel about the judgment of God. Instead of me showing it to you on the screen, can you just turn to this with me? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to 9. I'm just going to read through this. Peter says in verse 1, Beloved, he's speaking to the church. I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Remember these things that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken, which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, people who will mock God, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What's Peter saying? Peter's saying in the last days, today, there will be people who will scoff and mock God and mock the church. And they will say, where is this judgment? Where is this wrath? Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago. Where, God? Where is this fire? Where is this wrath going to pour upon the earth? We've never seen it. Therefore, we won't believe it. And look what he says. 
they will willfully forget. They forget on purpose. It's not that they don't remember. It's not that they can't remember. But they pretend that they don't remember that God has judged the world before and he will do it again. People today will say, God didn't judge the earth in flood. That's just a made up story. God never did that. But they know he did. And they know he will do it again. But they willfully forget. They want to pretend these things are not real. Why? Because they want to continue living in their lusts and pretend that there will be no consequence for what they do. They say, where is this judgment? It's been 2,000 years already. Well, Peter goes on to say in verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. He is patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. People who would dare say, if God were to judge the world, he would have done it by now, so therefore, I don't think it's going to happen. Foolish, foolish man, foolish woman, don't you know that God is showing patience? God in his goodness is patient with you that you would come to repentance before it's too late. Jesus, when he spoke, he also wanted us to remember the days of Noah and the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus was talking about when he comes back again, when the Son of Man returns, the Almighty God, when light like lightning flashing from one end of the sky to the other, he said, it will be a day when people on the earth will see him coming. They will try to hide in the mountains and in the caves, and they will beg for rocks to fall on top of them. And they will say, hide us from the face of God and from the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus. Jesus says, this day is coming. But he said, in those days, it will be like the days of Noah. Because when God pronounced his judgment, what did the people do? Jesus said they were eating and drinking, enjoying life as though there was nothing to worry about. And they were marrying, he said. In other words, we can plan for the future. Let's plan our families. Let's plan our dreams. They thought about everything except that wrath was coming. And then Jesus said, then the flood came and destroyed them all. He says it will be like in the days of Lot. Because in Sodom and Gomorrah, when God had already promised his wrath was coming, even so, people were eating and drinking, enjoying life like there was nothing to worry about, and they were buying and selling, business as usual, and they were planting and building. Not only were they looking to the future, but they wanted to continue to spread this lifestyle that they were living. They were proud of who they were. They loved to do what they did, and they wanted to spread that influence beyond their cities. 
And Jesus said, and then the fire fell from heaven and destroyed them all. And so in all these things, the Bible says to us in Isaiah 26, verse 20, God says, come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. The wrath of God is coming. And all throughout the Bible, we see these warnings that say, come in, hide yourself, run, flee, escape, turn, repent. But we hear those words and we say, come in, come into where? You tell us to flee, but where do we go? You tell us to escape, escape to where? Run where? You tell us, God, to turn. Turn to what? Where can we go to be saved from this wrath of God? I am a man of sin. I've sinned in my mind and in my thoughts. I've sinned in my heart. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I've done evil. There are many things that we do that follow us all through life, and we suffer the consequences like demons that are constantly tormenting us because of what we have done. And in our sin, what else can we say but like the psalmist, I am terrified of your wrath, God. I am terrified of your wrath. Number one, the remembrance of God's wrath. God wants us to remember so that we will learn the severity of it and the certainty of it. What God did in the past, He will do it again. And He will do it once and for all. And then number two today, the refuge, the safety, the deliverance, the refuge from God's wrath. Let's walk into the Garden of Gethsemane for a moment. On the night that Jesus took his disciples there, the night that we know he was about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot and arrested. Jesus, who was perfect, wonderfully righteous, compassionate, filled with love, there in that garden in the darkness of the night, he asked his disciples to pray. He said, because my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. I am filled with such sorrow that I'm close to dying from it, he said. Luke tells us that in this moment, he began to sweat drops of blood, which doctors say today, for that to happen, that takes extreme stress and agony. Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. And he took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, a little bit further, and he said to them, wait with me, pray with me. And he went a little further, and he fell on his face, and he said, oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. What cup was he speaking of? What was it that was making him exceedingly sorrowful 
to his very soul, even at the point of death itself? Was it knowing about the cross and the brutalities of the cross and what it would mean to him physically? Perhaps. But there was something even much more grave than that. The Bible says that Jesus came to bear our sin. The one who was blameless took upon himself your sin. And this cup that he knows he must partake of is the cup of the wrath of God. Three times over, he goes to his father and he says, Oh, my father, if it is not possible that this cup would pass from me unless I drink from it, then your will be done. And at that moment, Jesus became your sin bearer. And they arrested him and they beat him. They whipped him. They scourged him. The Bible says that he was bruised and crushed and scourged for our iniquities. And he came to bear and to carry our griefs and all of our sorrows. Jesus, our sin bearer, he was led to the cross where they nailed him on that cross and raised him up. Our sin bearer. And on that cross, he would drink the cup of the wrath of God. When did that happen? I believe perhaps it was when the whole earth was filled with darkness. And the cries from him from the cross were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus became our sin. And he knew what it was like to be filled with the wrath of God. To die as a sinner under the judgment and wrath of Almighty God. This is what caused him sorrow. This is what almost killed him even in Gethsemane. Knowing that he must bear the wrath of God. Jesus never knew what it was like to not be in perfect communion with the Father. From all eternity past, their communion was filled with love and glory. And even when Jesus walked on the earth, even though the Father was in heaven, yet there was still perfect communion between the two of them. But at the cross, God took the cup that we have been filling up with all our sin, and he poured it out upon Christ. Jesus drank the cup that was meant for you to drink. The cup of the wrath of God. The Bible says that Jesus tasted death for you. And then one of the last few words that he spoke on the cross, it is finished. Finished. The wrath of God and the judgment of God has been satisfied to the fullest because Jesus drank your cup of wrath. He took upon himself your punishment. This is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this good news of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Salvation saved from what? From the wrath of God and the judgment for, from God. How are we saved? By faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so, behold, it is in Jesus we have an ark by which we go in, and God shuts us into that ark. And no matter the floodwaters of wrath and judgment, we are safe in Christ. Behold, in Jesus, we have that city of refuge by which if we run and flee, we find a way of escape. We run to the city of refuge and we are saved from the fire of God that shall fall upon the earth. Behold, it is in Christ we have that Passover lamb, the one who was sacrificed, the one who bled on the cross of Calvary, and by his blood we are covered and saved from wrath and death and destruction. And so, my friends, Paul says this, it is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And oh, how sweet the good news just became. Oh, how wonderful the good news just became in our ears. If it's not good news to you, you have not understood anything I just said. If you right now don't have a sense of urgency to run to Christ, to fall at his feet, to surrender to him, to put your trust in him, you have not heard a single word I just said. But if you have understood it and you know you deserve the full wrath of God, which is to come, you will run, you will turn, you will flee, you will escape and find salvation in Jesus Christ. And so let me close with this. God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And he called Ezekiel a watchman. God says that as a watchman stands on the wall of the city, his job is to look out. And if any trouble comes, he's to blow the trumpet Sound the alarm. Danger is coming so that all the city can be prepared for what may lie ahead. And so God calls Ezekiel a watchman. Just as John the Baptist was a watchman because John the Baptist was a voice preaching in the wilderness to repent for the wrath of God is coming. Now today, I'm not Ezekiel, I'm not a John the Baptist, I'm not a prophet. I'm a man of God who's preaching you the truth of God's Word. Today I am the watchman, and I want to speak to you in the way that God has commanded me to speak to you. If you want to follow along with this, please do in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7 to 11, and I'm going to end with this. This is God's command to the watchman. So you, son of man, Pastor Heath, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, Alpha Omega International. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. 
and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn away from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? People of Alpha Omega International, God says, turn from your evil ways. Turn to what? Turn to Christ and be saved. Musicians, would you come? God's wrath is severe. God's judgment is certain. And time is passing away. You want to talk about something that runs very quickly? It's time. Time is passing away quickly. And my question to you is, are you saved from the wrath to come? It is severe, it is certain. Are you saved from the wrath to come? Let's bow our heads. Holy Spirit, this is when we need you more than ever before. I am just a man who is attempting to teach your word. I am just a voice warning people of the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. Holy Spirit, I pray that these words will be planted in hearts and they will bring about repentance. That people today will find that city of refuge and run. That people will see the ark of Jesus Christ and enter in and be shut in by God. That people will know that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has died for us. He bled on the cross for us and He drank the cup of wrath for us. And if we will trust in Him, run to Him, believe in Him, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. Holy Spirit, only You can convict the hearts of men and women. Only You can turn people to Jesus Christ for salvation. And I pray that right now you will do that. And I pray that right now people will, res will respond just by one simple act of faith reaching to you.
And right now, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I would ask you, if this is stirring in your heart, and you're thinking about these things, and you are remembering as God says you should remember, and you know there is wrath to come, and you must be saved, if you're here today, and you would say, God, I believe it in my heart. I need to be saved. I just want you to raise your hand right now to God. Amen. Raise your hand to God. It's not to me. It's not to me. I'm not writing names. I'm not counting numbers. I just want you to reach in faith to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us, oh God, of taking our sin lightly. Forgive us, oh God, of committing what you hate in life. Forgive us of lifestyles that are rebellious against you, God. I pray, oh Lord, that we will remember what Paul said. Put these things away because it's these things that are causing the wrath of God to fall on the earth. So teach us, God, to run to Jesus and find salvation. I pray for those two today that are under the wrath of God. Speak to them that they should flee to the city of refuge and find Jesus Christ and be saved from their sin. Save them, God. Save them today. And I pray, Lord, for every Christian who has taken sin lightly. No more. No more. Give us victory over our sin, O oh God, because you hate the sin that is within us. And I pray you teach us to also hate that sin and come to you, Jesus, who say, blessed are those who mourn, who grieve, who hate their sin, and they will be comforted. And God, how can we not today remember that there are those in our family right now, those in our friendship circles, there are millions upon millions in our nation, billions in our world who are under the wrath of God right now. So God, help us to take this seriously enough that we will find those who are lost and to teach them about Jesus. The poor man on the street the father who lives at home with us, that little child who has no home on the street, whoever it is, God, help us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we all stand together? Before we close in prayer, can we sing the chorus to that song?